Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bijou Banter. In the KRY studio, we got Orson Cod. Hello. Daniel McGregor-Hoyer. Hello. And myself, Matthew Ha. And today, it is Friday, February 18th of 2022, and we're going to be talking about two pieces of media currently streaming on various streaming services all across the interwebs. And the first one being The Book of Boba Fett, which is the recent Star Wars Disney Plus series, as well as Kimmy, which is the recent HBO Max original directed by Steven Soderbergh. And we're going to start off with the former, which is The Book of Boba Fett, a spinoff to the series The Mandalorian, created by Jon Favreau, and it's based off of the George Lucas Star Wars mythos. And it stars Tamira Morrison, Ming-Na Wen, and Pedro Pascal. And as a quote from IMDb, the basic general plot of this show, which is a... How many episodes was this? It was like seven? Seven, yeah. Seven, seven? yeah. I can't remember how many episodes there were. Uh Bounty Hunter Boba Fett and mercenary Fennec Shan navigate the underworld where they return to Tatooine to claim Jabba the Hutt's old turf. That's the IMDb plot description. There's more to the show that we could discuss, but overall, what were our general thoughts on this recent series? Boba Fett's a really cool character, so I'm glad he was able to finally get his time to shine in the light. This series, I watched it, I binged most of it last night. I don't even remember much of it already. Like, I was so tired while watching it, and from the parts that I do recall, I just felt incredibly bored. Like, it seemed like they wanted to do so much, but they just couldn't pull it off. I think this character lended himself better to movie format, I, which I know they were going to do a movie a couple of years ago with James Mangold, but that kind of just uh, fell through. Yeah, I mean, with this show, I, I found it to be okay. I wasn't really that impressed with it, and I think it's pretty disappointing, to be honest. I think there's a lot of aspects that I do like. I mean, Tamara Morrison does the best he can with this character, despite not really seeing much of him, um, which I think is obviously... an it's just an obvious flaw of the show. I mean, I mean, now when does a pretty good job. Um, but I think it's once five and six come through, it's when I was like, okay, I'm actually entertained. But it's because he's not in those episodes. <laughs> and when you have your when you have your other two episodes that don't have your main character being the best ones, then there's an issue. And I think. Although the show did get stronger as it got along, and I did like some of the fan service moments, which I think we'll talk about eventually, um, it's I was still relatively disappointed by the show. This is one of the strangest um, pieces of Star Wars media that I've ever come across, and not in terms of its content, because when we talk about strange Star Wars media, usually the first thing people think of is the Star Wars holiday special, which we talked about in our previous episode of Bijou Banter way back in December of 2020. The weird thing about the book of Boba Fett is just how inconsistent it is because Boba Fett is a character that's shrouded in mystery. He's one of the ultimate cult figures of the Star Wars universe. I always thought he was a cool character, and so did my dad, too. My dad actually considers him, Boba Fett, to be his favorite Star Wars character because of that mystery. So when he returned in Mandalorian Season 2, spoilers, um... (laughs) It was cool to see him come back, but also when they announced that they were going to do this spinoff show, um, there's the thoughts like, are they going to, what are they going to reveal? Like, is this going to kill all the mystery that has surrounded Boba Fett for over, almost 30 years at this point? And in a weird way, it does. There's some really interesting ideas in this show, but what's fascinating is that the best parts of the show entitled Book of Boba Fett are the two episodes where Boba Fett is not really present. In a weird way, it's a combination of a Boba Fett show and Mandalorian season 2.5. <laughs> and every single episode, like I'll just give a brief, brief rundown. At least this is how I thought. I thought it had a weak start. It really went downhill in episode three, but then it shot back up with episodes five and six. And that's when it became really cool. 
and then the finale was pretty underwhelming to me but I just have I have a, a lot of mixed feelings because there's some parts of the show that I genuinely thought was exciting and really really fun but then there were other parts where I was just like this is one of the worst things I've ever seen in a Star Wars in Star Wars media it's just it's so strange how John Favreau has had a pretty decent track record with Star Wars too. Like Mandal, the first two seasons of Mandalorian are, in my opinion, the best thing Disney has done with Star Wars alongside Rogue One. Yeah. But when he when it comes to this, like I'm not really sure what happened. It's like was it a situation where there were like too many cooks in the kitchen or something? It seemed really Disneyfied, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know Maybe. why, but obviously Disney can't do R-rated Star Wars. That just seems like it's out of the question altogether. Boba Fett maybe could lend himself to that if uh, Star Wars wasn't owned by Disney, but it just felt like very, not cutesy, but like they were playing it safe with this character sometimes. Like I remember when they started filming this show sometime within the past year and a half, there were like reports coming out like, oh, it's going to be so dark and gritty, grittier than the Mandalorian. And I was like, oh, that's pretty crazy. And then watching, I was like, I don't know. Mandalorian season two was pretty dark. Like that episode Mm -hmm. where they get trapped in that cave of like giant ice spiders or something that's like like horror that's straight up horror and so i was surprised that this to me personally never really crossed that boundary of like what it seemed like the rumors were i mean i think there were a good a couple good ideas with the show i mean i do like the fact that you know honestly like the part with the tuscan raiders in the first few episodes Um, i don't like that i mean i know there's a lot of people that are going to be hit on that but it's like i don't know i never thought i would actually say like okay yeah this is something i never thought like they would do because it was different it was something that was different from the typical norm and you know I mean, Tuscan Raiders always just seemed like, you know, throwaway characters half the time. You know, not many people were like, really, oh, I want a Tuscan Raider TV show. I'm not asking for a Tuscan Raider TV show. I don't know how that would work. It would be like the Star Wars holiday special where you can't understand Wookiees for 30 minutes. Like, episode one, yeah. when it starts off, like, well, first it starts off how it reveals that Boba Fett didn't die in the Sarlacc pit and returned the Jedi, and it shows him escaping. To me, that just killed, like, any sort of mystery. So it didn't really start off very well, but then it's like... Body okay. mystery. You knew well, he survived. He was a Mandalorian. Well, fair, but it's like, do we really need to see that, though? Like, we know he survived, but, but it's like... But did they really show, like... I don't know. Maybe I guess... They, they clearly showed it. He showed him, like, going out of the throat or Okay, whatever. that part... They, I don't think they need to show him, like, inside. Exactly. But that, they could have just one. showed him coming out. It's like, yeah, oh, like, Yeah, like, how, how did he escape from it? Like, yeah, obviously, okay, we know he fair. lived. Yeah. But it's like, we only need to see every single detail. I wish there was still some level of interpretation, because that's what Boba Fett basically was. And he had yeah. really... He didn't have a lot to do in episodes five and six in the in the original trilogy, but everyone just sort of made up his own backstories. And then also the ex- expanded universe, which is no longer canon, um, thanks to Disney buying Lucasfilm, added a lot more to his his backstory, which admittedly I'm not familiar with expanded universe Star Wars lore, but there's just a lot more to the character. But they just sort of retcon it and just give away everything. There's literally no room, no reason to interpret anymore because Disney said, no, this is how he escaped. We're showing you every single bit. And now we're going to move on to this show, which the scene with the Tuscan Raiders there, that episode, it's like, I want to give it a chance because it's the first episode. I don't want to, I don't want to be too quick to judge a TV series just based on the pilot, but it was just, it was not a, every episode just felt unbelievably slow. Oh, Especially yeah. in the first four episodes, literally felt like every single one of those was like a three hour movie. Yeah. I mean, when I, I, the amount of times that this scene and that back to tank, I just really wanted to break that thing and just tell him to do something because that's like my issues is that. Nothing happens, I mean, because the main plot is not that interesting. Although the backstory, I would say, is like, 
better than the main plot. Obviously, they needed a few, they needed to have that at a much quicker pace, and it's so inconsistent when you're trying to go back and forth between. Oh, you want to know how Boba Fett got out of the Sarlacc pit? I didn't, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's where the main plot is just so uninteresting because. You get, like, the mayor, which is who's not an interesting character, despite oh, the yeah. fact that it's a cool design. And then you get, like, these this Power Rangers biker <sighs> gang <laughs> that, that uh, were pretty much throwaway. Pain. And then, like, the Twin Hots, which, honestly, I wanted to see the more of them. And it's like, nope, we're gone. The only thing that was actually cool, though, was uh, the Wookiee. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I never... I think that... I wish, you know, we saw more of that character. But here's the problem. There's so much... There's. I'll give them this. There's a lot of things in the show. They clearly wanted to do a lot in just seven episodes. But they focus so little on these things. In a weird way, this is kind of like when we talked about being the Ricardos last week. There's so much stuff that's just packed into this, into this series that you forget a lot of elements, especially when it diverts back to the Mandalorian story. Because that's the part where it actually becomes compelling... They have the interesting characters, and sure, there's like, okay, why, why, why do we have to see Mando and Grogu reunite? Even though it, it was that, that was basically sort of like at the end of season two, that was like their send off. It's like, oh yeah, we don't know if they're ever going to see each other again. It was a really poignant way to end this, end that season. But no, it's like no, they come back. So right. that was disappointing. But at least that story, I cared about more. I, re- I honestly didn't was not invested in Boba Fett's mission, which is interesting because Boba Fett is known as like this a cold-hearted killer, essentially, in some ways. That's how he was built up in the Star Wars universe. But we really don't see him do that very much. There's only one scene that I can recall in this series when he's flying he's flying in his ship, and then there's just, like, a bunch of guys on speeder bikes, like, just going through a field, and he just shoots at them. Huh. Which I thought, okay, that's, yeah, that's Boba Fett. Like, he just kills people with, like, no sympathy, basically. Yeah. But there's they don't do any of that in the rest of the show. Yeah, it's hard because he just felt like a big jokester in this, like a guy that Boba just makes, Fett? yeah, like not okay. Well, maybe not a jokester, but there were a lot of jokes in the show. I thought like more than Star Wars needs. I don't know if you guys felt like that, but I don't know. I, I didn't think there were jokes though, because I didn't think it was funny. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe I just noticed like they were trying, like the okay, a perfect ca- example of a character that seemed like they were trying to make funny was like the assistant to the mayor. Yeah. The pink guy. Mm-hmm. Like the way And he doesn't even have a name. Yeah. Like, what's the name? <laughs> he just felt like such a cartoonish Okay, that's a better word. Cartoonish than jokes. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. This whole series just seems so cartoonish with like, oh, he befriends the Tuscan Raiders or whatever. And he's teaching them how to drive. And of course they don't know how to drive and like they mess up and like all these other things along with that. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if Star Wars really needs this. But at the same Especially time. not with Boba Fett. Like, if you want to do something more cartoonish, then why don't you stick to animated? Because they've clearly done that before. Oh yeah, or do do like a do a remake of the the Star Wars series droids from the 1980s, where it's right. just focusing on 3PO and R2D2. Like, do something like that. If you want to do a cartoony Star Wars type show, that's fine. I don't think you should do it with Boba Fett though, since no. he's so synonymous with being more dark and serious and intense. And especially in Episode Three, which I want to talk about right now, which. I consider one of the worst things to ever appear in Star Wars because it had that cyborg gang, which is terrible, awful, awful. One of the things I really noticed about the show, especially during the chase sequence in episode three, I didn't think the CGI was really that good. No, the CGI was bad. The pacing was bad. I I get they had COVID stuff, so they were probably very restricted on what they could do, but 
It just was not that good. It, it was not exciting. Like the chase, they were moving. It's like they were on those Walmart carts where it's like, yeah. for, where you just like go through the aisles slowly. It's like there was no excitement. There was no fun. It's just so boring and dry. And it just looks like Power Rangers. Right. I don't think Star Wars should be Power Rangers. It's just they have these bright vehicles and they have like the weird, like almost like punk like clothes too. It's just like, what even is this? This is just, biz- it's not only. I mean- it didn't make sense to me until I saw who directed the first three episodes. Robert right. Robert Rodriguez. And don't get me wrong, he's not a bad filmmaker. If anything, this is a guy like that honestly can take a limited budget on so many things and make them look cool. And obviously, yeah, some of his films have been pretty dated by now. Like but Spy Kids has definitely not aged all, despite the fact that, you know, I still like those films and Shark Boy and Lava Girl like Billy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but I know what they had him on board for. Like, he's definitely more of an action-oriented director. But my issues is that he just doesn't have much of a consistency with, like, how a scene should look. Because the action scenes, like, half the time it looks like Tamara Morrison is just, like, trying to not break his disc in his back. Like, that's how I feel half the time because they're so slow-paced. And it's like... This isn't, like, um, Desperado, but they need to do something that's a little bit more action-packed that can get me engaged. I don't understand what went wrong with episode three, because it was directed by Robert Rodriguez, like you said, but Robert Rodriguez directed some of my favorite episodes of Mandalorians, particularly in season one. I forgot which episode it was, but it was really gritty, and the action was fast-paced, and in the, in the editing, too, it felt like a Robert Rodriguez movie in Star Wars. So, And he directed about, I want to say half... Three, yeah, three of the episodes. He directed the first episode, too, which I could tell. Like, it had that sort of Robert Rodriguez vibe, especially in the finale, too, because he did direct the finale. But episode three, it's like, I don't even think he... Maybe this is like a Poltergeist scenario, where it's like his name was on it, but there's, like, rumors that, you know, Spielberg directed Poltergeist behind the back. What if it's something like that? Because it didn't seem like he directed it. Who do you think directed directed it, though? I don't know. Some, I don't know, Dave Filoni or Bryce Dallas Howard, who also directed episodes of the show, or... Someone else. Yeah, but I think they direct. They both directed five and six, and those are honestly the best episodes of the series. I yeah, I think it's just I think it was just misguided, and this I don't know what happened with episode three. It's like every single choice they made was just wrong. It was I came out of that episode thinking like that was bad, that was wow. very bad, and it really sort of soured my enjoyment of the rest yeah, of the show. I mean, really, it's like. I think I'm guessing we can go ahead and talk about episode five and six, but I think with five, like literally the whole episode of that, like of that, like the whole episode of the show for episode five is literally, um, is literally Mando making a ship. And that is the most... But I like Mando, though. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the they thing. They made it interesting, surprisingly. Yeah, and plus, like Amy Sedaris actually... Had a pretty good performance. I mean, I know people can kind of consider that character a bit annoying sometimes, but I don't know. I mean, I really liked the fact that, you know, they were just making a ship and he was test flying it or whatever. I mean, I liked that a little bit more than whatever was going on in, like, the first four episodes. We're, we're going to transition into a quick PSA, and we'll be right back with more Book of Boba Fett. Welcome back to Bijou Banter. We are continuing our conversation on the Book of Boba Fett, and we left off on episode five, which is the... The episode is called The Return of the Mandalorian. And by the way, we are talking about spoilers in this show. The The show ended about a week ago, I'd say. But basically, yeah, Mando returns and he has to build a ship too. And also he ha- he's in that battle with the, the armor who inspects like the Darksaber too. 
this is when we get more into the, I guess, um, fan service elements of the show, which honestly didn't bother me. I think, especially with Mandalorian Season 2, they've handled fan service shockingly well, mm-hmm. I think. In Episode 6, then they really, that's where all the elements come in. But it's actually very exciting. And it, what I find so bizarre is that, like, I th- who... John Favreau wrote all episodes of the all the episodes of this show, with the exception of episode six, where he co-wrote it with Dave Filoni, who is best known for creating Star Wars: The Clone Wars. And it's just interesting seeing like when you when you have something so low, but then you go back up to something very exciting, like episode five. It's really jarring, but at the same time, it's like yes, I'm finally invested in what's happening, even though a lot of it is just sort of exposition, but. Maybe just because we've had that, we have that attachment to the Mando character at this point. You could argue we have an attachment to Boba Fett as well. But it's like, if you have your main character actually doing something I care about, then the episode is way more engaging. Yeah, I don't mind fan service stuff. It just depends on how it's done right. I think the way they handled that big cameo at the end of The Mandalorian Season 2, I thought that was perfect. Mm -hmm. And it felt natural-esque here. Like, I don't know if they necessarily needed to do it again. But it didn't feel like they were shoehorning it in, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think with this one, I mean, as much as they're... I think it's funny how this fan service actually saves the show. Um, because the main character is uninteresting. The main plot is uninteresting. The main threat up until maybe episode six is uninteresting. But once we say get characters that we actually care about and then, you know, see some of these familiar faces again... I think that's when, when I was hooked. Um, and it does kind of actually worry me a bit, like what they're going to do for other Star Wars shows going forward. It's like, will they be relying on this much fan service since Boba Fett obviously had to? And that's kind of where I might have some issues. But I, otherwise, I think it was pretty well done. I think both episodes really, you know made me want to see more Mandalorian and then I just forget that I'm not watching I'm watching the Boba Fett show I'm not watching the Mandalorian and that's I think that is that is obviously a big issue and and even like with episode seven although it still ended up having to combine those elements somehow you know the wrap-up and a finale there were things I really liked I mean I don't know if I, sh- I. This is probably not already. This was already a spoiler to begin with. But Cad Bane, um, mm-hmm. one of the best Clone Wars characters ever, comes back. That is amazing because I mean, this is how I envision Cad Bane would be like, kind of like a Clint Eastwood type villain, mm-hmm. and it makes me wish he was the main antagonist all along instead of the Pikes. The Pikes are not interesting villains. They're not interesting villains. And admittedly, I've, I've not seen the Clone Wars. I've, I've been told by many of my friends that I have to get on that. But I know who Cad Bane is. And even seeing him, I was excited. It's like, wow, this is actually really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, the only problem is that in the finale, he's just kind of executed, <laughs> I guess. And it's just like, well... Okay, maybe he's not dead, but at the same time, it's like you reveal him at the end of the second to last episode, then he just he dies or gets killed. So it's cool to see him, and but I just wish they developed him more as what you said, Daniel, as they, the main antagonist. They should have. I don't know if they're gonna do Boba Fett season two, but set him up like a post credit scene Mando or something. Season three. Yeah, Mando season three. They should have set up all the bounty hunters that were like kind of from that group of Boba Fett. I thought would have been cool, but. Yeah. Can't have them all, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that, honestly, it's... I'm, 
kind of glad that they're kind of trying to drift away a bit from like you know the original characters a bit and i think this coming back to boba fett might have not been the best option um but that's just me i but i still i mean i did like seeing some of the fan service it was nice to see cad bane in live action for the first time um because you know in the clone wars animated series this guy is just a stud like he's a thug like he just he just does anything that he's willing to do without any second thought. And that's who Boba Fett should be in, in the Clone Wars series. That is apparently who Boba Fett learned his bounty hunting things from, from it, apparently. And so that, there should have been much more of an emotional angle for it. Because, you know, you're now facing a guy that practically trained you in the art of bounty, bounty hunting. And yeah. apparently that's not how it all worked. And I just kind of wish, you know, if they got rid of the Pikes and the backstory, I think we would have gotten a much better series here. What what would you, I guess, in order to make this show feel a bit more consistent in terms of its narrative, in terms of its quality and just in everything, what would you change, like, the most in order to make it more consistent? Then? Make it a movie. You think make it a movie? They were going to do, I think if the, I mean, obviously Star Wars and Lucasfilm are, you know, very well known for being very, uh, what's the word, like touchy-feely with when they bring in a creative and then the creative says, here's my vision for the Star Wars project you brought me in on. And then Lucasfilm is like, eh, no, thank you. And then they get rid of them. I feel like that's probably what happened with James Mangold a couple of years ago. The dude did Logan. In my, in my opinion, that's one of the best superhero movies ever, mm-hmm. especially over the past like 10 years. Yeah. I think, obviously, again, you can't do R-rated Star Wars. I just don't think that's viable right now. But if he could have added like his own special touch of like Western style to like maybe a story around like the same level of darkness as Rogue One, where like Boba Fett comes back and like he vows to take a pledge to like get rid of the rest of the bounty hunters that wronged him or something, you know, maybe in a little bit like Peacemaker where he only kills bounty hunters that like kill everyone, not just bad people. I think that would have been a more interesting story than just have Boba Fett roaming around, you know, teaching Tuscans how to drive motorbikes or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that they should have just did all along is just have Cad Bane be the main antagonist yeah. throughout the series. I think to get the Pikes was just uninteresting. They were not given enough screen time for me to be fully intimidated by them. You could get rid of the mayor. You could get rid of his slimy servant. Even you could get rid of, like, Mando and Grogu. Um... Because although those were the episodes, it's still a bad sign that, you know, the characters from the main show are overshadowing the character in this show. Mm-hmm. And if, and also if they had a little bit more to Boba Fett's um, motivation and had a little bit more of Fennec Shan, because although Ming-Na Wen does a good job of the performance she's given... She doesn't do anything. She doesn't do anything. And I just kind of wish that if they had more focus on the characterization of both Fett and Shan and then had... Bane as the main antagonist throughout the entire series. Get rid of the Pice, get rid of the Tusken Raiders, get, get rid of Mando and Grogu. And the Power Rangers. And the Power mm-hmm. Rangers. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think that could have honestly made, made them better a bit. But get rid of them, you would have had a much solid show with a much more character-driven narrative, like the original Mandalorian was. Yeah. I, I think if you were to make this a movie, you'd have to come up with an entirely different story. Yeah, I think I would love to see a Boba Fett movie, which obviously I don't think will ever happen because we have the show now. But if you want to do a show, I'd say, first of all, stick to a tone. I would personally go darker. 
go more serious because that's that's why I want from from a Boba Fett like I guess his mentality and also how like his perspectives on everything because he's just a very cold blood dark character and make the villains more interesting give Boba Fett something and Fennec Shan something more engaging to do as an audience member which I, I'm sure there's there, there's a lot of people that do enjoy this show and it's like I'm not trying to make it seem like, oh, I know I know everything, because that's not what I'm trying to say, but it's like, I personally just was not engaged for over 50% of the show, and as awesome as it is when Mando and Grogu show up, and also some other very famous Star Wars characters, that's a problem when that overshadows the main characters. So in a weird way, it, it it's like the film, not the films, the series' biggest strength, but also possibly its biggest flaw, too, so... You want to know what this strikes me as? What? It reminds me a lot of the Solo movie. And I like the Solo movie a lot better than this, which I don't think Solo's bad. It's just, it's not great. But what I mean is, you look at a character who's very popular in Star Wars lore, and you're like, whoa, it'd be cool to get like a movie or a TV series about that person. And so then Disney and Lucasfilm goes and does that, and it's like, well, I don't know if they actually needed one. It's just like, you can imagine like, oh, what would this character be like in their own movie? or TV series, and it just doesn't always come to fruition. There's a reason there's comics or books if you want to expand on that because it works better on that format sometimes. Yeah, especially, especially with, like, universe expansion and just additional lore, too. Like, my problem with Solo is that it's just unbelievably forgettable. Like, I yeah. don't remember a single thing about that movie. It loves no impression on me whatsoever. Book of Boba Fett does have some moments that are just incredibly forgettable, but at the same time, there are some moments that I do really, really like and really retain regardless if it's good or bad but also just some of its technical elements too i think it's shot very nicely the score which is it was Ludwig Gordonson again who did the mandalorian oh actually what incredible yeah, incredible it, theme it, it was the main theme actually but i yeah. think throughout the rest of the show it was another composer if i'm correct and maybe oh is it really yeah i think it was another composer but i think oh you're right yeah yeah he but honestly, like, it is a great score. I mean, there's a lot of things that I do like about this show. Um, I mean, there, like I said, the episodes five and six are pretty well done. I mean, you still have the same set design. Some I really like how they're still utilizing practical effects. Mm -hmm. um, although on the Power Rangers, no. But like, <laughs> but, like, you know, like that little sand monster thing and the Rancor. Like, it was kind of nice seeing, like, you know, all these practical effects there. And because, you know, I really like I really like those when they just drift away from the CGI a bit and just, you know, go into something that looks a little bit more realistic. Like, you can literally touch the Rancor. And I I mean, I like those elements. And like I said, although the characters are probably written, Tamara Morrison does his best along with Ming-Na Wen. And obviously... Yeah, the acting's good. Yeah, and, and Pedro Pascal still does a pretty good job. Still is really the Mandalorian. I mean, that's basically... He, it's practically a role that's made Pascal an icon now. I mean, that's amazing to me. And But I think it's just that it might just be maybe that me, it wasn't time for a Boba Fett show if they needed to kind of polish things out because obviously you got another big show coming up after this. Oh, yeah. With, with a certain McGregor and the... Obi-Wan. Yeah, yeah. I swear if that series is bad... There might be riots on the streets. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think Calvin. I hope it's good. I mean, Calvin <laughs> says if it's like bad, he'll still love it. That's just how it is. You wanna know who be if they ever do Boba Fett season two? You wanna know who'd be an interesting villain? Who? Jason Momoa. Who would he play? I don't know. He they could find <laughs> someone, but the joke is that him and Tamara Morrison are an Aquaman as yeah, father yeah. and son, and so it'd be interesting. Like I know he's probably wrapped up in 
Aquaman 2. Or, well, I think that finished, but I'm sure he's going to do Aquaman 3. Oh, he's doing Fast and Furious 10. I swear, he's probably like the long lost cousin or something of yeah, Dwayne he's Johnson's yeah, he's character. Like, like third cousin of Vin Diesel <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah. Family. Yeah. family. But they gotta, it'd be very interesting to see um, him as a villain with Tomorrow Morrison and Boba Fett season two if they do it. Yeah. Do you, do you think they're going to do season two? I doubt it. Uh, I think this. I think I they're so focused right now on Mandalorian season three. They got Ahsoka, Obi Wan, and then. They keep saying they're going to do this Andor series, which apparently already they are filmed, do, they are, doing and the it's Andor. done. They just haven't set a release date. So I don't know, though. It just I, I, If they do, I, I have to imagine it's a couple of years away at least. Probably. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I think if they are going to do it, it's not going to be for a reason that, you know, people are asking for it, really. I'm, I'm not really asking for a season two, because honestly, I think... Boba Fett is already a character that, you know, is already so synonymous that we don't really need it. Like, it's kind of like how we, I didn't really want a Han Solo film. I didn't want to see Han Solo. I think Lucasfilm sees that when Star Wars fans don't like something, they're like, okay, we're not going to do it again. Well, yeah, because, because you look at... they learn from, Well, they learn from their mistakes, but at the same time, they the find last, new ways to mess up yeah, stuff. Yeah, you look at The Last oh, Jedi. Yeah, fans, like Jedi yeah. fans didn't respond well to The Last Jedi, got rid of Ryan Johnson, brought back in J.J. Uh, Abrams, who... People, well, you know, kind of like Force Awakens. Well, there's, we can, that's like another people, conversation. People, yeah, then, people then like Solo, so they then move forward with Solo, even though that guy, Alden Ehrenreich and Donald Glover signed on for like three movies yeah. or something, which they keep a saying trilogy. they're going to do a Lando series. But I don't no think it's happening. No. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm, I'm sure they'll find a way to I make it. I think Donald Glover is too focused on making good things rather than Solo. Yeah, like, like music <laughs> in Atlanta. Then, well, the there was something ever. else that they were doing and people didn't like and they're like okay we're done with that i don't remember what it was but i think they realize when someone does not like something they're not going to pursue it and like you said matthew they're just going to find something else to be like oh this person needs a spinoff when in reality do they need a spinoff i'm i mean i've always i want to see i always thought it'd be cool to see a, a boba fett either show or a movie or something but this is not how you you should oh. have done it. I don't think this is like at least this inconsistent. The yeah. other example what? was that they were gonna do like Knights of the Old Republic with oh, the yeah. Game of Thrones guys. Yeah, what happened? And then people didn't respond well to the last season of Game of Thrones. So guess what they did? <laughs> Get out of here! And then they kept can that uh, trilogy they were gonna do and brought over Taika Waititi and uh, Kevin Feige, which who knows when that's gonna happen? Isn't Patty Jenkins doing? I Star don't know. Wars, like Rogue see, Squadron. Like, see that, but that's so another one. That was another one that recently, like a couple months ago, she was like, I don't know what's happening with that because they're having and she's the creative director. differences. <laughs> you know, the thing about like that day when Disney just kind of puts everything out, like it's like, we're going to throw these things at the board, see how they respond to these titles. Especially they Star actually Wars. go yeah. through with it. Only no. Marvel, really. And sometimes Cause, cause Pixar. They have, well, they have faith in Marvel. Even Pixar, sometimes they're not really having the most yeah, faith because I mean, they're putting all their stuff on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I mean, I think with Star Wars, it's like, you know, they don't want to piss off the fan base. <laughs> that's just, But they do, though. But they still do. That's, yeah. that's what's because so frustrating. Because they hire these great creatives to come I don't think in they have enough trust in in the in their creative you, talent. You know the story about Solo, right? Yeah. They brought Terrible. in Phil Lord and Chris Miller who are great filmmakers. Yeah. Look at every animated film they've done. Is one of the best movies even, ever made. Even both 21 Jump Street movies. I like 22 Jump Street. I think it's fun. But it's not obviously like better than the first, which the first is amazing. Oh, both they, are amazing. I love They them. filmed like 75% of Solo. Lucasfilm didn't like it. They canned them, rewrote the movie and reshot it. And you know, when Howie. people when people say release the Snyder cut, that was great that we got that. Release the Lord and Miller. Cut. Oh, I want Just the Lord and Miller. Yeah, cut. I, I want to see that. I want to see how they do it, but it's like obviously they're. I think they're at a point where Star Wars. It's like, 
Oh, we got, it's like, you know, they have kids. They have, oh, Marvel, you got that kid, you got the Pixar kid, and you have the Star Wars kid, where it's like, we don't want to acknowledge him right now because he might be mad if we do. <laughs> and that's just how I feel about, like, you know, how Disney's been handling Star Wars these past few years. It's like, there's been unbelievable highs with The Mandalorian, but then there's been unbelievable lows with Rise of Skywalker. Oh, gosh. And I think that's kind of where it's like, but then again, like, no matter what you get from it, it's like the fan base is going to be a really opinionated. Oh, there's another it. one. People didn't like Rise of Skywalker? Okay, we're done with those characters for now, at least. Yeah, we're done. I, yeah. For now. And, spe- and speaking of done, we are just about out of time on our <laughs> conversation of, of the Book of Boba Fett. And the Star Wars fandom yeah. as a whole, as oh, Dominic DeCarlo said, I hate movie fans. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that was just, I had to, I had to go with that, that segue. <laughs> Final thoughts. Uh, I think we, we've said it all. Just it's not the greatest series. And it seems like it promised a lot. And if it was more contained and smaller, maybe a movie or maybe even just less than seven episodes, it could have been really great but they just overcrowded so many things in there and it just didn't seem focused enough to make it a good series. So I'm going to give Book of Boba Fett uh, just a 5 out of 10 because I'm very middle of the road. I don't hate it and I don't think it's terrible, but I don't love it, nor do I think I'll ever revisit it. I think I'm in the same boat. Like I said before, when you had the main characters from the show you spun off from overshadowing the other main character in the show, then there is your problem. And I think the book of Boba Fett is just very uninteresting. Although there are a few good ideas, a few good performances, a few good visuals here and there. It's just a nothing show. And something that, you know, I think I was very disappointed in because, you know, it's by John Favreau and the same team behind The Mandalorian. And they I don't think they were able to get to the finish line here. So yeah, five out of ten for me as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm in the same boat. It's like there's some stuff that's really really good, and there's some stuff that's really really bad, and just some stuff that's so 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 forgettable. It's it's like everything, every bit of like quality is just there's zero consistency. Unfortunately, I think if if you were to do a Boba Fett show or movie, you got it. You you need to focus on something else or like fix the tone, make the characters more interesting, give them something interesting to do, and they unfortunately didn't do it. It's bad, even though it's the best thing we've firmly established, it's bad when the most interesting part of your show is characters that aren't the main characters. So um, I'm probably I'm not I'm probably not going to see it again. If season two happens, I'll give it a chance. But overall, I found this to be disappointing, forgettable and some some cool elements, but also sort of just like, I don't know, it, it was disappointing to say the least. I'm also going to give it a five out of ten. I'm very middle of the road on it. So we're going to move on from the Book of Boba Fett to a HBO Max original called Kimmy, which was directed by Steven Soderbergh and was written by David Kep, who is best known for writing Jurassic Park, the first Spider-Man film, and the first Mission Impossible film. And it stars Zoe Kravitz, Erica Christensen, and Rita Wilson, among others. And from IMDb, the very short plot synopsis is an agoraphobic Seattle tech worker uncovers evidence of a crime. There's more to the movie than that, but... What did you think? I, I thought it was interesting, but I, I'm sure we'll get it. It's hard to like form pin, opinions on this movie because I don't necessarily have a lot to say about it. It's very interesting, and I think it's really? very well acted, but there's just something about it that like uninterests me, if that makes sense. like It was just it was a nice, easy, quick watch. It's less than 90 minutes, but I 
feel like it could have done a lot more than it actually did. Despite not seeing this movie, I think it's the greatest film of all time. <laughs> yeah, I did not get a chance to watch this. Um, but I don't know. I'm pretty interested because I think Steven Soderbergh is one of uh, is a good direct, like one of the better directors yeah. working today. I mean, I think he has made a lot of iconic films like Ocean's Eleven and Traffic and Behind the Candelabra. I just had not had the time to see this, um, but I'm gonna probably give it a watch soon despite what your guys' opinions may be. I, th- I think there's some really cool ideas with this movie. Um, first of all, it, it takes place during the COVID-19 I, I've pandemic. I've got something to say about that, but oh. I'll hear your thoughts <laughs> I, first. I don't know when when during the pandemic this movie is supposed to be taking place because I'm honestly not sure. You can't really tell. It could be taking place in 2020 or yesterday. But um, what's interesting, I think in terms of how it um, handles like surveillance and also just sort of technology in a way of like using um like your your phones or specifically Kimmy which is essentially this movie's form of Siri. It's a um a smart speaker and it's about human monitoring too. So there's like that there's an element of voyeurism and and surveillance that I think is really really well done in the first half when uh Zoe Kravitz is she works at home and she has she's agoraphobic too so she has a fear of like going outside and feeling embarrassed too. So it's like when it's all self-contained, when she discovers this crime through um, this, the Kimmy device, that I thought was really interesting. It's like, oh, it's it's going to be like in a weird way, rear window almost, yeah. where a, a lot of it actually did remind me of that, the, the really bad knockoff that we talked about last uh. year, The Woman in the Window with Amy Adams, where, but this one I actually found I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying this. But then the second she steps out of the room, the movie kind of goes downhill in a way. Not not that it's awful, because it's not like... It was still watchable, but then it just goes more along the lines of being a cheesy, generic Over the top. Film. Yeah, very over the top, especially in the final act. But even the way it's shot, because when it's shot... It looks in, like it's shot on an iPhone, which he's not... You know, Steven Soderbergh is not known yeah, for doing. He, Unsane and Unsane. High Flying Bird. Yeah. Shot on iPhones. Um yeah, when it's shot in the in the apartment, it's very stable. It's it's basically like a regular film. Like it's not like it's shot like amazingly. It's not Roger Deakins or anything yeah. like that. But it's it's very basic. But as soon as she steps outside, then it becomes way more chaotic in a weird way. It almost kind of made me nauseous in some instances. Yeah, a lot too. of shaky. Chaos. Yeah, not as bad as Cloverfield, but it's great movie. Yeah, great movie. But I don't know it felt very uneven. I really wish the movie just took place inside her apartment which would have actually added to the that elm of it taking place during the pandemic too it would have made a lot more sense but overall i i wasn't like i i still enjoyed it i would say because it's not like it was only 89 minutes it didn't take up a huge amount of my time Went by fast yeah and it was quickly paced so i didn't think it was a waste of time i enjoyed it but i just think it, it could have gone in directions that would have made it even better first of all when She's like running outside. I don't know if like he told her to do Zoe Kravitz to do a goofy run. I could not stop laughing at the way like she was running or like walking super fast. I don't know if you felt like that. Just the way she like, you know, speed walks. I thought was really weird. She she's anxious. Well, I know that, <laughs> but it just to me something about it was a little interesting, but in terms of the covid stuff. This movie could have been set anytime. Oh yeah. Why did he pick covid? And you want to know what it says to me? I don't know the guy personally, but it strikes me as like he looked at that and thought to himself, oh, we're going to be one of the first movies to be set during the COVID pandemic. 
it doesn't add anything to the movie because minus Zoe Kravitz and a few background people wearing masks, you can't tell that it's COVID other than, again, the masks and the people saying, hey, COVID. And it's like, what? I don't get that. Like, it's really weird because I'm assuming based on the way he said it with people not wearing masks and going out, it is probably set in the summer or fall of 2021 because people weren't really going outside too much when there mm. weren't vaccines. So I assume this was it, this is probably pre Omicron when the movie yeah. when the story was taking place. So, it was shot in April of twenty twenty. I don't know. It just felt really weird to me that he said it during the pandemic because it didn't add much to it. It, it just felt like I tacking would, it on. Yeah, no, I wish he did acknowledge it though, because it actually would have made a bit more sense for the themes surrounding the technology. Because like if it was all if it was during the quarantine, which is ironically, if he did it, if 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 they quarantine did, would have been way better. Yeah, if it was during quarantine, it would be ironic because uh, Soderbergh has made another movie about pandemic contagion, oh, which yeah. was like, which was big when the quarantine first started back in March of 2020. But <sighs> he should have made it like a shared universe. Yeah, where he said it during the same time. That would have that, that would have been interesting. That actually would have been really smart. Because then you could play more with the themes of like, oh, isolation, loneliness, but also to the fact that we're all just like glued to our screens at this time. To how crimes can be committed in times like this too, then it could have been, I actually think a bit more thought provoking. The movie's already pretty thought provoking in terms of how it handles surveillance and, yeah. and sort of like, Oh, everyone's watching us in a way. And it's like, they're, uh, they're picking up on all these things when we're not even listening, when we're not even noticing, like they're probably listening to our conversation right now. One of the, <laughs> one of the things I actually did admire, and there's not a huge amount of commentary on it, but I do admire that he like acknowledged it was like how, people are treated, especially women, when they discover things or things happen to them mm -hmm. and they bring it forward and people are just like, well, that's not that big of a deal. I like that they had a commentary on it to say like, oh, that is a real issue in the world. Yeah, I, I appreciated that, but I think it felt very sort of rushed through. Yeah. Because... Especially with the Rita Wilson stuff, I yeah. will say. that First of all, that was a weird cameo. Like, she doesn't add anything to the movie. It just felt like they added Rita Wilson just to say, hey, we have Rita Wilson. Yeah, I don't know, but it just it seemed like that part was really just kind of added in to add that additional level of commentary when yeah. the whole it's not like promising young woman where the entire focus is on those types of themes. It just felt like an additional thing. And it, I think also, too, and have you seen Unsane? Yeah, a long time ago. Unsane kind of had that similar element, too, where they did add that, I think, to add more to the commentary. But even that had a lot more focus on that central element. This one felt like an additional plot point. Yeah. And granted, it's handled rather respectfully too like it's not handled like last night in soho where it just felt very insulting and uncomfortable this this they did a good job with it i want to yeah. say there was no matt damon cameo no that was pretty sad there was one in unsane and also in no sudden move i think yeah yeah there, there was uh -huh. so if i'm just kind of getting getting the vibe with this movie it's probably like one of the lower tier in terms of soderbergh films i haven't seen enough of his filmography to like give a proper ranking yeah but I mean, it's fine. It's not like I wouldn't go in expecting to have your mind blown for one of the first movies that's set during the pandemic. Yeah, because I think there was already one with what, what, Anne Hathaway and Show It's Hell Geo for like a locked, locked down. I think yeah, is what yeah, like lockdown where they just. That's supposed to be terrible. Yeah, or... I don't know if I'm going to watch that. I know but, like... they did a Michael Michael Bay produced some COVID movie, but he made it like yes. zombies or oh, something. Oh, what was that called? I know Ambulance. what you're talking about. No, yes. not Ambulance. Was that Ambulance? No, that's some heist no. movie that's coming out. I know what you're talking about. Though. And then James McAvoy has like some romance comedy drama film coming out where they like break the fourth wall because it's about like a couple surviving indoors oh, during the pandemic. Oh, but the only good yeah, pan, something like that. The only good pandemic film is 
that there ever was was inside. I think everybody can yeah, agree. Best that's... quarantine film ever. Please yeah. watch it if you would like what to. What I do yeah. admire was that, you know, there's that saying of like, it's not funny when you're in the time of the mm. thing happening. Cause you yeah. look at like, don't look up and it's like, okay, that's clearly a metaphor for COVID. It was a little too soon. Even though I thought the movie was okay. It was way too soon. This one, I wouldn't say they played it safe, but I think they knew not to overstep their boundaries but then again, if you weren't going to overstep your boundaries, don't even set it during the pandemic. Yeah, but I think maybe that was the intention. Maybe they didn't want to draw any sort of controversy because I actually did. A part of me did like how they didn't like fully address it. But at the same time, like if you did address it, then the themes would have been a lot more interesting and thought provoking. So in a weird way, it was like a double edged sword. Yeah. So they could have made it a thing where a, but also too, it's not a, sorry, but this isn't a satire though. No. It's not meant to be a comedic satire. It's not poking fun at any sort of politics either. It's meant to be a thriller. So you, what they could have done is three options. You set it in the same universe as contagion when that virus is first spreading. And that'd be just like a cool Easter egg to one of his other movies. B you set it during quarantine when COVID quarantine first started, or you set it right before COVID hit. And like maybe on some newscasts or something like, Oh, this COVID virus has just hit the United States. We are looking into it, says, you know, the CDC or who. You know what I mean? Yeah. We'll be right back with more Bijou Banter after this quick grant spot. Welcome back to Bijou Banter. We are continuing our conversation on Kimmy. And going back to what you asked, Daniel, in terms of where this rank with Soderbergh, I'm not entirely familiar with Soderbergh's filmography. I one of one of the big things, I haven't seen Ocean's Eleven or any of the Ocean's films yet. I need to get on that, I know. Um the thing I've noticed about Soderbergh is that I think he's a way more interesting visual director at times yeah. than he is more with the stories. And I think, if, correct me if I'm wrong, he doesn't he doesn't write a lot of his direct I don't know. his directed um, films, right? Yeah, that, that that is correct. He definitely is more of a director that's in there for the visual aspect. Um, yeah, which you know I he's think always experimenting with cameras too. Yeah, I always like how Soderbergh is able to kind of you know switch up styles and just have a he definitely has a style to him. Yeah, and definitely with this one, you could tell he had that Sauerberg style, especially when I don't know if they use different cameras for when um, she goes outside. It's I thought they shot on an iPhone, to tell you the truth, and I won't be surprised really if they did. Like they did. They might have or like some sort of like smaller camera, but sometimes it's like a it's um his style. I've noticed um, even though he has a really interesting takes in terms of how he shoots movies, it sometimes becomes unbelievably distracting yeah. at times. You know, not it's not as bad here in Kimmy, but I want to go to No Sudden Move for a second. We've never discussed it on this show, but the problem with No Sudden Move is that it's a decent story, but it is literally destroyed by how ugly that movie is shot. Because really? it looks like, I, yeah, it basically, the movie looks like it's shot through a fisheye lens and it just looks so distorted. Didn't he kind of do that with Unsane, though? Wasn't that? But Unsane was shot on an iPhone, though, so that I has guess an excuse. That's fair. No Sudden Move, was, I assume, was just shot on regular, um, on regular film cameras, but it just looks so ugly. And the production design's nice, but it's like it looks it looks bad. It looks it made it seem like my TV was broken. That's a problem. <laughs> but in Kimmy, granted, it's I think it's more the shutter speed and also the um, the frame rate too, because it felt it felt way more fast paced too in the second half in terms of how it was shot. The only problem is that it got way more cheesy, especially in the climax when the nail gun, the nail gun. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like it was kind of cool, but they're. Again, I don't want to spoil it. Not that there's really a lot to spoil in this movie, but when she's crawling through stuff, I'm like, you know, they can hear you, right? Like that is was just so unrealistic to me, and I get it. You know, you have to suspend your disbelief on some things, and I don't want to nitpick, but there was just something about that where I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. I was like, I don't know, this just doesn't seem 100% accurate. Yeah, it it, 
it wasn't the because there's like it's like yeah. the little things where you know I don't want to nitpick everything, but it was just stuff like that where I'm like I can forgive you know somehow she picked up that sound of the woman screaming and all that music or whatever, but the fact that like she's running through the vents or whatever and no one can hear her. That to me was just. Yeah. I really like the sound design in the movie too, especially in the good. in the first half when she's listening in on the conversation about the the crime. She at first she hears it and then she like messes around with the audio settings. I liked on. when she got the giant sound thing. Yeah. and brought it out. I thought that was cool. It's like she she brings she brings out this uh, more equipment and then we actually we we hear it like through her headphones too. It, you know, it kind of does. Um, a lot a lot of films have been doing that recently. I think after A Quiet Place, they really started to experiment in terms of like that binaural audio. Mm-hmm. I think is what it's called. So that was pretty cool. Like there's really cool elements and but it's just I, a part of me wishes the story was a bit stronger, maybe have more consistency with the themes you, and I'm actually going to throw out something. I'll I'll get your take on it. Yeah. Would this have been maybe a little more interesting if it was like a five-part miniseries? I think it would have been too long personally. Really? I I think this this story works better as a movie. Hmm. Um, I'm not saying that's what I would have done if I was given the decision, but maybe it would have given them time to flesh stuff out more because I don't think this should have been like a two-hour movie because hmm. then it'd be hard to sit through because it's like, oh, you know, get to the point. But if you're doing like five episodes that are 45 minutes each throughout, you know, five weeks, maybe that could have been a little more cool, but I don't know. Yeah, I just think that would have been too long then. One of the most pretentious parts, I thought, was when she's listening to the audio. She finally gets it. And then she wasn't there when the crime was committed. They start showing you what happens. Oh, yeah. To me, and they, like, what's it? They impose her over the crime scene. Mm -hmm. Like, if that makes sense. Yeah, that that wasn't a good edit. Some of the editing is not that good. That was just very weird to me. Like, we can listen to audio and we can assume what happens, you know, what's it show don't tell or something yeah, they, they usually say especially in horror movies like what you don't see is scarier yeah and I think, this isn't a horror film but it's like if you're trying to build up that sort of suspense and it's a thriller yeah and that thrilling nature that soderbergh usually likes to tell with these types of stories don't show it yeah like it just would have been more effective yeah the dialogue just would have been better the sounds yeah like some some of the script too like there's some lines that were just like why did you say that like remember there's one part when She's talking to like one of her colleagues through through like a video call. Who's in Swedish guy? Or yeah, something? he's a Swedish guy. He says he says like he makes a remark that's like not the most appropriate in terms of like like in terms of like gender. Uh, and he says like, "Oh, me too." Hasn't happened here yet. It's like what? what? Yeah, he yeah. Said, he said like, "What was it? Like they were fifty years behind or something?" Yeah, it's just like what the heck? That's that's not. Which is funny because she's trying to make commentary on how women are treated when they come forward with situations about this. So it's like, why are you trying to have like, it's not a grandiose message, but you would have a joke like that in there. Yeah, it wasn't funny. It was, I was just like, what? Yeah. It it was bizarre lines like that are just kind of put in the script too. So it, it, it's just weird. Yeah. So you, you got any thoughts, Daniel? Any other questions? I do not, honestly. (laughs) Um, but I do think that. It sounds like it could be maybe worth a bit it's of a It's worth watch. a watch. It's worth a yeah, watch, it, but I'm guessing this probably isn't anything that's like going to make you like ride home. Like, wow, that was very thought-provoking. Like, that, that changed the way I look at movies. Like, And, and, and it changed the way I look at COVID, too. <laughs> like, no. I think you're going to still see COVID as the same thing. But it's like, I don't know. It's just... Yeah, like, it, it's definitely... 
it's worth giving it a shot because it, at the same time, it's an 89 minutes. It's yeah, like you really got, you got nothing to lose. It's not like it's a two and a half hour movie or like a five part miniseries. You know what I liked? What? The end credits. I like the way they designed them. Yeah. Oh, they just yeah. used a cool font, I thought. Yeah, I think it's the font on the poster too. It's, yeah, I, I, don't, th- I don't know what the font is called. But I thought it looked cool. It, it, it looks more old school. Yeah, sometimes movies like go with this like really just what's the word, like fancy academic font sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whereas I like when movies play around with like the fun fonts, and I thought this one did. No. It's a very small detail, but when the credits came up, and it was kind of when they were flashing the credits on screen, like the people's names, it was kind of in tune to the song beats a little bit. I liked that. I always think it's fun when artists and directors, filmmakers, whatever, can do that. Yeah, No Sudden Move actually did that too. For some reason, I'm just, I remember, I don't know why this, this is the one thing I'm taking away from that movie, but the opening credits, the font was actually pretty similar to Kimmy. It's very Kubrick-esque. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a bit. It's like stylized, but also it's not like distracting in any way. Yeah. It feels appropriate yeah. to the time period in, in terms of its relevancy. But we are just about out of time. Our conversation of Kimmy. So, what are your final thoughts, Orson? Uh, I thought it was, you know, it was an interesting film. It again, I, I maybe made it seem like I was crapping all over it. I wasn't. I had a fun. Okay, I had an okay time watching it. It was very fast. And there were elements of it I really enjoyed, but there were other things where I thought they could have expanded more or just made a little more tight. So it's, I, again, I'd recommend anyone will watch it if they'd like it to. So I'm going to give Kimmy a fair six out of 10. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it, it, it's good. It's a, it's a good movie. Um, a lot, there are a lot of flaws, but at the same time, it is relatively consistent with what the story wants to tell and the yeah. messages it wants to tell. Do I think they should have expanded more on it to make it more thought-provoking? Absolutely, because then it would have made for an even better film. And also, too, I I wish it was just inside the whole time. It would have been a cool one-location film. I could add to that list of like stuff like 12 Angry Men or Inside, inside Clerks yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, Kimmy, overall, a solid thriller from Soderbergh. I'm also going to give it a 6 out of 10. And that'll conclude this episode of Bijou Banter. Tune in next time where we're finally going to talk about season one of the incredible HBO Max TV series Peacemaker, as well as the remake sequel. Uh, new modern. Yeah, new modern adaptation or take on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which just premiered on Netflix earlier today. But until next time, I've been Matthew. I've been Orson. And I've been Daniel. And we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye.